It's time for JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. This is how you do radio in a professional sports town, and this hasn't been a professional sports town. It was just UNLV basketball for how many decades? Now you got the Raiders, and you got the Golden Knights. It's Big Boy Radio. JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? My radio show's a little bit more intense. It gets a little bit more crazy. It gets a little bit more emotional. It's Big Boy Radio. And now, here's JT the Brick. Uh, JT, back with you. Hour number two of the show as we continue on. And we got a lot to get to here today. Busy day on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. And a huge day in the NBA with the NBA playoffs. Wow, what happened to the Phoenix Suns? I did a two, three hours on that last night on my SiriusXM show now we have the Warriors going up against Dallas. I think that's a big break for the Warriors, but don't say that to Luka Doncic. And then on the other side, Miami took game one at home, which they should against Boston because Boston ran out of gas. They had to beat Giannis in game six and seven. So we have the Eastern and Western Conference Finals underway. Ever since NBA Summer League came to Vegas, I've been a big supporter. I love it. It's a great place to bring your kids, bring your family to see the best new young talent in the NBA, to see all the executives, the stars. And then every hotel and casino is packed with people in and around the NBA and fans from all over the world. Albert Hall joins us from Hall Pass Media, the mind behind all of this and what a job they do promoting this event, which is right upon us. Albert, good to talk to you, my friend. Hope you're well. Hey, T, how you doing, my brother? Always a pleasure and uh, good good to hear you. Pumping up Summer League, Raiders, and everything Vegas. You know it, and there's a lot happening. I don't know. I'm sure you saw it because you're in and down a lot and what you're doing in the podcast world. What do you think of the NFL draft when you saw it on TV with the Palacio Fountains behind oh. the link, the, the drone coverage? What do you think of that? I thought it was spectacular. I mean, that's become such a big event, perfect for Las Vegas. Hopefully they can bring it back there, you know, whether it be annually or every other year, but you know, it's just turned into such a spectacle, and you understand the, the power of the fans um, for the NFL, but also the power of Las Vegas. I mean, the Raider brand is alive and well, and what better backdrop? They did an excellent job. Yeah, it was great because you worked behind the scenes putting NBA Summer League together and growing it with your partnerships, and I thought that's kind of what the NFL model was, was your model, partnering partnering with their team partners in the hotel casino business and then letting everybody else get involved and have a great time it reminds me of your model you have particular partners that you do business with but you're excited when everybody up and down the strip gets involved and helps promote it no question when we started you know we had we always joke we had six handshakes and a box of flyers and now we have you know all 30 teams 150,000 people through there and it's really the economic impact that we've had for the city has grown to 50 million plus. So we've started as that little mom and pop, and now we've grown up. We're still, you know, we still maintain that value system of mom and pop, but, you know, on a little bigger stage. And and speaking of partners, we're really excited. You know, the last several years, I think the last six years, MGM has been on board, but um, we've moved on. And now we are happy to announce you're going to hear that 2K Sports is our new title partner, which as you know, that, that's, a, that's a monster, and that whole audience of getting younger, innovative tech, we, we love that. So that's another addition to the Vegas uh, lineup. Yeah, I think the Vegas lineup is absolutely amazing and everything that's happening here in town. I love the fact, too, that we have the announcement of the draft lottery, 
what we saw with the draft lottery last night with the teams that were up there. And, you know, Orlando gets the number one pick overall, and then it funnels right into Summer League where we're going to see some of these draft picks when we have the draft come in, the excitement of all that and building teams, especially from the teams that are struggling up to the top. No question. I mean, you, you always want those teams that are struggling to have hope and to have some optimism. Obviously, when they get to Summer League, it's a fresh start. But a team like Orlando, off of what they did last year with Suggs and Wagner, I mean, you add a Holmgren or a Jabari in there, and, I mean, bingo, you've got your big three potentially. But, you know, it always has to materialize. I mean, just look at OKC with all their picks and Houston and follow up to Jalen Green and Tate and those guys. And then the the team that I think is really intriguing is Sacramento. You know, Mike Brown is, is a great young coach. Uh, they do have a lot of nice pieces. Sabonis was a great pickup. You know, you put a Jaden Ivey or somebody like that into that lineup, and, you know, Summer League is where it's going to start. It gives you the hope and optimism. And we go back to the Warriors back when they had Draymond and Clay, and that kind of turned the corner with them when, when they won the Summer League title. And it's been, uh, you know, a lot of success since then. So always a springboard off of the lottery right into Summer League, and we're going to do it on July 7th through the 17th. Yep, as we continue to t- promote this and talk about what's coming up. I want to get into what you're noticing with all your connections in the league of what happened this year in the postseason. No LeBron and the super team and what happened with Kyrie with the COVID protocol. Then Harden really forces his way out. Then Simmons comes over. And the next thing you know, Durant is out very quickly here. We don't have the two super teams that a lot of us thought were going to be there at the start. No question. I mean, but I think it's also a good thing. You saw the numbers come out, the the highest watched uh, round two since 2014 without LeBron. So you're talking about, you know, Ja Morant. You're talking about the Warriors still following up. You're talking about Jimmy Butler. And, you know, there's just some great storylines. And and that is the one beauty of the NBA. I mean, it's such a star-driven league. Some star may struggle, another may step up. And, I mean, watching Luka just put on the show that he did that first half and Phoenix had no answer. I mean, it was spectacular. So look, some of those guys fell flat. Maybe it wasn't the right fit. Maybe it was different, you know, pieces or injuries, what have you, but that's a part of the game. I'm excited too, because, you know, I'm the biggest proponent of the young players in the league. And now you're seeing these new stars start to materialize. And a guy like jaw is must see TV. So we're excited to see who that next person might be. I mean, I've watched Banchero since he was in high school and, He's a stud, and, 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 I mean, Chet Holmgren, is. it doesn't look like it on paper and, and at the, the smelt or the sight test, but the guy can really get it done. So I'm excited for those young players. Yeah, and I saw Chet play. We were at that unbelievable game here in Vegas between Duke and Gonzaga, and it was unbelievable to see those two go toe-to-toe as everybody was wondering, will that be the first and second pick in the draft? And it's starting to look that that'll be two of the top three. That's what I liked about what we saw, Albert, yesterday when you saw first four or five picks that what they could look like in mocks that everybody's excited for Oklahoma City everybody's excited for Detroit again I really think this is going to be an important draft because it goes out to about three or five and as you know you're my go-to guy you've been doing this forever you know second round picks that end up being better than some first round picks that are taken anywhere from 15 into the 30s and they begin to shine at NBA Summer League Oh, no question. Each and every year, I mean, we sit there and say, okay, someone is going to take center stage. You go back to the Jeremy Lin days, but I mean, there's always somebody, you know, even the year Brandon Roy came out or Dame Lillard or whomever, you know, people weren't quite sure about them as a, as a fifth or sixth pick. 
they took the center stage and didn't give it up. And so that's the beauty of summer league. I mean, you talk about a guy like Keegan Murray at Iowa, who was, you know, had a, a dominant year. A lot of NBA guys love this guy. So, uh, you know, AJ Griffin, Duke, all these, this has turned out. And my, my contacts tell me this is going to be one of the deepest drafts in a number of years, not maybe the superstar lock guarantee, you know, at the top, really good players of those three we've mentioned, but, the depth in this draft, you're going to be able to get players in the late first round to the second round, whether it's a Coloco or somebody like that who really makes an impact in the league. Albert Hall joins us from Hall Pass Media. So tell us about the excitement. We'll get to how to get tickets, but what's different every year as this evolves every year? There's always a new twist to it. There's always something new that comes about. What have you been working on in the offseason as we gear up for this? Well, really, JT, I mean, we didn't have a full strength summer league the last two years, you know, in 2020, we were shut down and then last year was limited. We were very fortunate to be able to have it. So this year it's really bringing back our partners, as you mentioned early, bringing back that NBA experience that has become summer league. I mean, the fans, there's no better place to rub elbows, to feel like you're an insider than, than NBA summer league. Like I mentioned, having 2k and NBA 2k 23 on there, um, that's a big part of it. So we'll have more of those that fan engagement. We're also looking at, you know, making more of the the festival atmosphere, whether it be the music integration, some of the events at night. Um, as you know, I mean, coming off of it, uh, NFL draft, I mean, there's there's so much that goes on outside of the actual event. So really, we're we're looking to do that. We've got a couple tweaks in 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 store. I don't want to give those away just yet, but. The, the main focus right now is just getting back to full strength and really creating that awesome fan experience, that NBA experience that everybody loves. And that's why, we, you know, we, we've softened the beach for some of these other teams and like to consider, you know, the Summer League in Vegas the 31st franchise. No doubt about it. It is. So tell everybody where we can get tickets, how everyone can get involved. And again, every time we, we do this and we'll do it multiple times, we'll talk throughout Summer League. It's really important because I started off with this by taking my little kids as toddlers and I started dropping them off without supervision. Now they drive on their own and go with their friends. They just love it. It's a great place to be for six, seven, eight hours from the early sessions, afternoon sessions to the night games. Oh, no question. No question. And become, you know, up to eight games in one day, we consider it the best value in sports. You know, for a $40 ticket plus fees, you go there and watch eight games. As you said, it's better than daycare, right? And it's a safe environment, a happy environment. But tickets went on sale this morning. Uh, we have a brisk sale going on right now. So if you go to NBAevents.com or UNLVTickets.com, uh, the Thomas and Mac box office, or call 702-739-FANS, they are on sale right now, July 7th through 17th, 75 games of action. And uh, as you know, you never know who's going to walk in, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Giannis, whoever it may be. There's always a star-studded house. Got it again. One last time on the way out with the website. I have UNLV tickets here in front of me. Everybody that wants to go, the number, the website, and we're a big supporter of it here at Lotus Broadcasting. I know you are. We appreciate you guys always, Erod, the whole crew over there. Uh, NBAevents.com, 702-739-FANS. Get your tickets now, July 7th through 17th, Thomas and Mack and Cox Pavilion. Thanks, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. I can't wait to see you. All right, buddy. Take care. See you soon. That is Albert Hall joining us from Hall Pass Media as we are behind Summer League. We'll have a lot more to get to on that topic coming up here 
We are excited to talk to everybody about this and try to get everybody else out there. Uh, jump on in, uh, 702-365-9200, and uh, we'll get it going. And we'll get rolling here as I am excited to be involved with NBA Summer League. When we come back, George Carl, also Lionel Washington. Stick around as we continue Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. I don't know exactly what it means to me, but I mean, it's it's obviously a, it's an honor to 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 be in a, a place like this where you're surrounded by a lot of good players just on this team. Let alone, you know, you got the the Knights, I believe. Um, it's it's a bunch of organizations out here now, so it's a lot lot more crowded sports wise than what Green Bay was. I think we uh, we had just the Packers out there, but it's um it's it's awesome, man. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, just driving up and down, seeing just just the the difference in in the, the city um, of of Las Vegas versus Green Bay. It's, it's like going from East Palo Alto, then going to Green Bay. You know, switching it up in in that right. So a little bit of a culture shock in in reverse, I guess. But looking forward to it. Um, endless opportunities out here, and uh, definitely looking forward to taking advantage of all of it. Stevante Adams, how about that for a new piece for any team, let alone the Silver and Black? And he came here to play with Derek Carr. And to grow the brand in Vegas, JT, back with you, our legend segment. When we talk to alumni, it's brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. Lionel Washington, kind enough to join us. What a career, a corner for 15 seasons in the NFL. And he had a great stint with the L.A. Raiders and the Oakland Raiders and has been a coach ever since. Lionel, thanks for doing this and welcome in. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, what a career and what a long life from the Louisiana to Tulane to the NFL. Let's talk about the early journey, how you got into football at a very young age, and who inspired you to play. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story. I, I never wanted to play football. Uh, um, my brother got me into really wanting to play, and I thought I would go out and give it a try because I always one thing I always can do is run. So... Uh, my brother said, let's go give it a try. If you don't like it, then you quit. And uh, ended up getting a touchdown. The first the first play I would play football, I got a touchdown. So playing wide receiver. And from that day on, I, you know, I fell in love with it, and I've been playing it ever since. Uh, what was it like also with, you know, the early career in high school where you thought you had an opportunity to play at the next level in college? Was this something that once you felt like you had that skill set and you were that talented, it was just a matter of time that you would play on the next level every time? <laughs> no, not really, because it's a process I took. Um, you know, I know once I got to high school, I knew I had to work hard because I definitely wanted to play at the next level at the college, at the college level. And I got that opportunity because of hard work and, and being disciplined and doing the things I need to do in order to be successful to make it to the next level. So that part of it, I think, played a, a great part in me setting the, the trend for myself. Lionel Washington is our guest. So you come out of Tulane, 
Uh, what were you thinking about as an NFL player at that time with the draft? What would happen, where you would end up? What was that big decision like for you, the Cardinals before the Raiders? How did that play out in front of you? Well, initially, um, not until my junior year, I thought I had a chance to play at the next level. Um, I played with a guy named Rodney Holman, came out a year before I did, played for Cincinnati for 14 seasons. And he told me, man, you can play at the next level. And that's when I started to realize then I, I had a talent that can possibly take me to the next level, take me to the, the, the place I wanted to play all my life, and that's the NFL. So Outstanding. I work hard, continue to do the things I need to do, and, and everything worked out for me. You know, getting drafted by the Cardinals in the fourth round and uh, got an opportunity in my first year to become a starter, and I went from there. Yeah, it's a great opportunity because uh, before we get to the L.A. Raiders, Cardinals were a vibrant football town. And that team and the history with Jim Hart and the great players that played there from Deardorff to Dobler, the legendary players before you, what was it like playing in that atmosphere in St. Louis with those fans? We now think of it as a baseball town and a team that lost the Rams back to L.A. But back in the day, those fans were as good as any in football. I, I, I totally agree with you during that time. Jim Hart, I got to play with Jim Hart and Dan, Dan Deardorff for one season. That was my rookie year. And those were two great football players and two Hall of Fame players, and, and it was just a, a good learning experience for me at that particular time. And, uh, you know, I ended up becoming a starter, and everything came went from there. And uh, I was able to understand what it was going to take to stay at that level for a long time. And, you know, I had the discipline already. I, I developed that back in high school and junior high school. So uh, just a matter of me just working hard, continuing to do the thing was necessary, and it's following the rules, I guess, in that sense. Lionel Washington. All right, the big one. So Al Davis. What'd you know about Al Davis before you came to the Raiders? What were those discussions about, and how did Mr. Davis bring you to the Raiders? Well, it was, it was, I guess I got traded in that sense. Um, new coaching staff that came into uh, St. Louis at the time, and uh, the head coach and, uh, thought I was, wouldn't fit what he wanted to bring in, so I guess they traded me. And I think that's the best thing that ever happened for myself as far as my career goes. Um, I was able to... Um, go out to the Raiders and meet the legendary Al Davis. And you heard a lot of things about Mr. Davis. And once you got a chance to meet him, some of the things were true. For the most part, uh, all of it was true because he was that type of person that you want to play for. You would jump through a wall for him because he, as a football player, was great playing for him. And whatever you needed at that particular time, he was going to make sure you got it. And um, we had a great coaching staff and, and things just went from there. Al Davis made sure he took care of his football players. We're talking to Lionel Washington, former Raider. Uh, what a player he was. So you come to the Raiders, 87 to 94. You know, mid to late 80s in Los Angeles, into the 90s. I mean, the backdrop of L.A. at that time, from everything that was going on, from music to hip-hop to rap to Hollywood movies, the Raiders <laughs> on the sideline at the Coliseum. What was that like? I can't imagine what it was like to be playing at that time with your teammates with so much happening in L.A. Well, that, that was the thing, man. It, you had so much things happening around you. Uh, I was able to stay focused on, on my particular job because I think I, I, something I really wanted to do was play in front of a big a crowd, and I got that opportunity once I moved to um, L.A. Yeah, it's incredible. 75,000, 80,000 people on weekends. Uh, that was a great feeling. And, and just being able to uh, avoid a lot of other things that were happening in L.A. at that time, you know, try not to get caught up in that scene. And mm -hmm. I was able to stay disciplined, like I said, and um, everything else worked out for me. 
Lionel Washington joins us, former Raider. Who are some of your most important teammates, your biggest bonds, your friends still to this day that you played with during that time? Wow, there's so many of them. And, um, Mike Haynes, I learned a lot from Mike, Lester Hayes. Uh, for those two guys at that time, they were the two best corners, I think, that would play press coverage, bump and run, if you want to call it that. Um, I learned so much from those guys. And, and just guys like Jerry Robinson was an, also was a, a linebacker that was a great football player also. So and there's a number of guys that uh, Terry McDaniels mm-hmm. thinking of another cornerback. So it's a lot of great football players that I got a chance to come in contact with and make friends friends with. There's a lot of guys that I still talk to. Vince Evans, that's the name of another guy. You know, so I, I got an opportunity to make a lot of great friends and, and, and we are still friends to these days. Some of the guys I just talked about. So um, I think that's one of the most important things for me. You know, I, I was able to build a friendship and a relationship with a lot of those guys that last more than just for a football season, more of a lifetime friendship. Lionel Washington, as we wrap it up, you had a quick stint with Denver and came back to the Oakland Raiders. So obviously they wanted you back and this relationship that you had with Mr. Davis and the coaches at the time. And before we get to your coaching career, at the very end of your career, when you came back to the organization, were they thinking about you as a coach on the field, as someone that could mentor some of the younger younger players and continue to have a little bit left in the tank? What was that about? That was pretty cool. You know, I got a chance to help a lot of the younger guys. Uh, Mr. Davis, uh, that's one thing about Mr. Davis also. I think he sees a lot of different things in guys that they don't see in themselves. And uh, he then was trying to get me to come to the coach with the Raiders when I first moved out to um, Green Bay first started my coaching career, but uh, I just wanted to stay where I was so I can build myself and learn and understand exactly what I need to do before I start to move. And But just being a player coach on a football field was outstanding because a lot of the guys looked up to me because I was one of the older guys at that time, or the oldest guy on the field at that time, and, and, and they knew I understood what was going on, uh, the adjustments, and just that's the schematics part of the game. Uh, you know, I understood that very, very I played for a long time also, so I had a great understanding of what I need to do, and I was able to convey that to the players I played with. Lionel Washington, as we wrap it up. So tell everybody what you're doing now as a coach, what your coaching career has led to, and how passionate you still are with it. Well, I'm still very um, passionate about it. I I think I coach on every level now. Uh, My my last year was last year with Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, Spent five seasons, four seasons over there, I'm sorry. There's four seasons over there at Southern, and, and we uh, brought in a new head coach, so I'm no longer there right now. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I'm at the end of my career right now for us to coach. It's been a total of 38 years, 39 years, something like that, with coaching and, and playing. So um, I'm just going to try to enjoy enjoy life. I've got three grandsons, so that's, wow. a great, that's a great thing. So I hope I get a chance to go watch these kids play basketball because they have to play professional basketball. And mm-hmm. I hope that I get a chance, my son. And uh, so I hope I get a chance to go watch them play basketball. And that's what I'm going to do with my time now. Yeah, it's amazing, Lionel. You've had such a great life and career, and you're still very young, and you have vibrant grandkids, and you've been a teacher, not only a player for 15 seasons, but all the years as a coach and a player. I mean, you really got to feel great that you gave back to society when it came to athletics and giving back to people that wanted to get into the sport and mentor them, huh? Yeah, it was it was a great great feeling, man. Because I got opportunity, kids to ask me questions about my career, also about you know how can they improve, how can they do some of the things I did. I told them I've been done already. Don't try to do me, do you. 
learn as much as you can about the football game and become the best you can possibly be yourself and everything else is going to take care of itself. And, uh, and most of the guys I coach, you know, did that. I had an opportunity to coach Charles Woodson, you know, one of the, mm-hmm. I think one of the best guys that would play that position. And, uh, and, and my lifetime and his lifetime and the other lifetime, yeah, I think he was one of the top five corners that ever played the game. Uh, he had great ball skills, uh, very, very smart, understood what was going on as far as that goes. And, uh, man, he was a great guy to coach and a pleasure to coach. Once a Raider, always a Raider, Lionel. What does the Raider brand and the organization mean to you this day? It means everything. If, if that can, this sums it up pretty much, uh, it gives me an opportunity to, go, to continue my career, give me an opportunity to continue my coaching career. So uh, I owe a lot to Mr. Davis, and I'm very thankful, and, and I'm very blessed that uh, I got an opportunity to go out there and play and meet a lot of good friends. And, and Mr. Davis is someone special. I know he's no longer with us, but at the same time, uh, I'm very, very thankful for him, and I continue to just thank him and be blessed that he's given me an opportunity. Lionel, I hope to see you out in Vegas soon. Thanks so much for doing this. You mean so much to the organization and alumni. Thanks for making time for us today. Thank you very much also. You got it. Lionel Washington played 15 seasons as a defensive back in the league, uh, played with the Los Angeles Raiders from 87 to 94. Then he came back in 97 with the Oakland Raiders and was the Oakland Raiders DB coach for 2009-2010. Uh, before he had that big job as defensive coordinator at Southern. So this is a guy who's a lifer, an absolute football lifer from Tulane uh, to everything that he was able to do in his career, man. I'm looking at his Wikipedia. It's like three pages long with football. And his son was drafted in the NBA, and he was a pretty good player in Washington. He was drafted in the second round of the 2008 NBA draft, and he's got three grandsons. And I'm sure probably these grandsons can ball out. So how about that? All right, Big Al in San Francisco. As we continue, we lost Big Al. Well, we got George Carl coming up next. So I want to get to George Carl. He's going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Those in the Bay Area remember him and his career, the big games he coached, especially in the last dance against Michael Jordan. We'll get an update on him with the playoffs and find out what he's doing. Busy show today. I've been worn thin. Heading out after the show to Chicago for Mike Ditka's Gridiron Greats. After Sunday, Monday with Fred and Angela Bolitnikoff for the Bolitnikoff Foundation and yesterday with Coaches versus Cancer. One of my busiest weeks of the year and proud to be a part of these great charitable events. All connected to Raider Nation Radio. only one who can stop him and he can't do it 41 points for jimmy Butler. i speak for my teammates in the miami heat organization whenever i say i know what i'm capable of um and i don't i don't do this to score 40 points i play the way that i play to win um by all means necessary and it just so happened that i scored 40 but uh if i score 40 and lose i'm gonna be really pissed off Butler's one hell of a player, isn't he, everybody? I mean, we're looking at who's left in the playoffs. Jimmy Butler might be the best player. There's no more Giannis. There's no more Kevin Durant. There's no LeBron James. You look around the league and you see all the players that are left. Jimmy Butler 
is a machine. What a win as they beat Boston. JT, back with you. Thanks to Lionel Washington, who joined us. Really unique story. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Thanks to the alumni department for that and all the great opportunities. Talking to them. Brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. We stay in the NBA. George Carl will be a new member of the Basketball Hall of Fame coming up here. We're thrilled to mention that. He's been a frequent guest with me over the years, and he's kind enough to join us on Raider Nation Radio. Coach, thanks so much for the time. I want to begin with that Phoenix-Dallas series, the reaction of the players, the body language, how everything fell apart for Phoenix in a closeout game at home. How'd you see it? Uh, That's a tough question to start off with because it made me very sad. I mean, I've never seen that much lack of effort in a seventh game of a, a series that was very, very close and very difficult for both teams. I don't know what happened in between game six and game seven, but Phoenix just had no energy. They seemed to lack any individual leadership of getting everybody out of the funk. I mean, they scored 27 points in the first half of an offense that usually has very good efficiency. And, you know, Dallas just took over the game and and dominated. You know, I've been very impressed with Jason Kidd's game plan on Chris Paul. Uh, I never thought Dallas was this good of a defensive team, and they are a very good defensive team. The thing that excites me about the playoffs for the first time in about 10 years is the, all, the four teams that remain are good defensively, mm-hmm. and it's going to be they're going to be defensive series. And, you know, like I think early in the in the first few games, I think someone might score a lot of points, but if these series go a long time, five, six, seven games, I think you're going to see the defense take control. George Carl is our guest, Coach. One more follow up on the the problem that Phoenix had. I mean, you, you can't – Monty Monty has to have them motivated. They have to be motivated, especially Chris Paul's a legendary veteran. When that's happening and you're burning through timeouts and you're trying to stop momentum and you got a few minutes in a timeout, what do you say when it's that bad? Because it's normally not that bad. You're down 12, 15, 18. You go on that run. When you're down 30, 40 points and you know you just don't have the ability to come back. What do you do as a head coach with your staff to try to energize the team? Well, you know, you just try to get play hard and play the right way back into the game. Uh, they had, you know, in that game, they lost their offensive confidence and they and defensively they had no answers for any of the three one-on-one players that Dallas was thrown at. Didn't win. He had a great half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luca had an unbelievably good half, and you know when they wanted to take a take a rest, Brunson would come in and play very very well. So Dallas had everything going right for him. Phoenix had nothing going right for him, and you got you had a, just a disastrous seventh game. George Carl is our guest, Coach. Earlier, Adam Silver spoke about all issues around the league at the NBA draft lottery. And one of the things that he said was troublesome to me about incentivizing players to play more, to play more games, as the NBA knows it's a problem. The commissioner, the broadcast partners, and the fans say that in the regular season, the players sit out too much. 
How do you handle that topic when it's presented to you? And how would you ever incentivize players who are making this much money to play more games or the right amount of games when they're healthy? Well, I didn't, I didn't read anything about that, but I, I know there are a lot of fans get unhappy who, you know, might have enough money to go to four games over an 82-game season, and they pick out these games because they want to see LeBron and they want to see Kevin Durant or they want to see Memphis play. You know, they pick out their favorite player, and then when they come to town, they don't play. It, it demoralizes that fan, and I could see that. I could see that becoming a problem. I think we we talked about that about ten years ago, and now with load management and COVID, and we, we we've had so many rosters on a given night, basically depleted by you know the, you know COVID or an injury or load management, and all of a sudden a good team is not even playing their two or three of their best players. And I think the fan is a big part of the game. And in, in some ways, I, I'm really happy that Adam stood up for the fan. Because mm-hmm. the fans are important. And basketball has become very, very popular. Uh, and I, I've always felt the fans know more about the game of basketball than players think they do. And... Uh, I think they they want they, they want to make sure their their voice is heard, and I think Adam Silver is hearing it. George Carl, as we wrap it up, a coach from your time in the Bay Area to knowing the culture in Oakland, now the new culture in San Francisco, which originally started there. This fan base has been rewarded with some really good basketball over the last decade or so. Kevin Durant left, but Steph and Draymond and Clay are healthy again. Poole came out of nowhere to be almost an elite player in this game. Do they look like a heavy favorite to you now that Phoenix is out and Dallas is standing in their way? You know, I I came out on Twitter. I think Dallas is going to win that series. Whoa. I, I know the fan is big about Golden State, and, and Golden State has the most experience. They have a, a pedigree of winning championships. The coaching staff is first class. The organization is first class. But I'm just saying right now, Dallas is on a roll. And they got, in my mind, the two best players in the game of basketball right now are Tatum and Luka. And and right now, Luka, the way they – you got to figure out how to stop him. I mean, he, he's just going to get 30 on anybody. And the step-back threes, the – he can't speed him up. He doesn't turn the ball over. He makes other people better. He's a good he's a good team player. So I think Golden State, size-wise, it bothers me that they're so small. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that Dallas can punish him because Dallas doesn't play big. But you can't punish Dallas for not being big. So I think it's going to be a hell of a hell of a series. And I'll be honest with you, I think Miami Boston is going to be a good series too. I think they're both very much probably a six or a seven-game series from the very beginning. And I think it's going to go back and forth like all good series do. And it could be an injury. It could be a, it could be someone really coming out of nowhere and playing really, really well. But right now, I think Dallas is playing in the best flow and best rhythm of anybody, even Boston, 
they're playing as well. And I think Golden State's going to have to go do something to take away their confidence early in this series somehow, some way. Coach, last question. In all your years as an all-star coach, coach of the year, all the success you had, you're a Hall of Famer coming up here. Other than Jordan, was there other players that really concerned you? You just mentioned Luka, and it made me think of Bird. You know, he's going to get his 30. Can you give me a name of a player or two when he was coming into your building or you were going into their building, you just said, I don't care how good we are tonight. That other player, that blank player is going to put up 30 or 35 and give us a hard time. Who are some of those players? Well, the guys that come to mind, you mentioned Larry Bird, but you also, I got to throw out, uh, you know, Kevin Durant. It comes to mind. And when he was in his prime at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma City, but the toughest guy I've ever had to cover, to be honest with you, is Shaquille. Shaq, Shaq was so hard to cover because, you know, he was so dominant and he played around the basket and he just made the game. It was hard. He was so big and so powerful. So I would say those guys come to mind. Bird, of course. Carl Malone was pretty damn good at it when he was in his prime. Barkley was pretty good at scoring big numbers when he had to, but the game now has gone to the you know gone to the athletic wing guy or um, you know the, the game has gone to the outside and not the inside, and the three ball has gotten wild and crazy. But the fans seem to love it, and I think they're going to see about another four or five weeks of really good basketball. Coach, congratulations! Have a great Hall of Fame experience. Always appreciate over the years talking to you on the radio. All the best to you and your family. Thanks for doing this. Okay, guys. Enjoy Vegas, babe. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. George Carl. What a nice conversation to have with him. And for him to go with Dallas, interesting. Uh, that's a Hall of Famer right there. It was gone up against the greatest competitors of all time. If you watch The Last Dance, and everybody saw The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan Bulls documentary, and George Carl. His team had the best chance of beating the Bulls. Bulls went 6-0 and in the finals. And Gary Payton and what happened in that series and Payton's minutes and his foul trouble and the issues of who he was guarding. If you can go back in the hot tub time machine, that was the chance. George Carl had a chance, a good one. That was a damn good team he had in Seattle. He had really good teams in Denver. And he's a great coach. And it's a lifetime achievement award, the Hall of Fame. I've always said that. George Carl's been a part of basketball since he played at North Carolina. I've seen him out of Coaches versus Cancer with Roy Williams, and he's a gentleman. And the years that Coach Carl and I were able to talk about Ricky's, I want to share two quick stories before we get back to the phones with George Carl. One of the nights I was in Oakland for an Oakland Raider game on the weekend. The games were Sunday. I'd fly up. 17 years I commuted to Oakland, usually twice a week for TV and the game. And I got up there and I went to Ricky's and Ricky was having dinner in the back room with George Carl and Ricky saw me and Tina who run Ricky's and said, come on in and come in the back. And I sat down with George Carl and they were telling stories about Hawaii, George Carl, Don Nelson, always told these great stories. And I was talking to coach Carl and probably sat with him at dinner for 45 minutes with Ricky. It's a memory I'll never forget. And then about six or seven years ago, when Coach Carl was really fighting cancer, really fighting it in a bad way, I saw him at an event in Vegas, and we talked for about 10 minutes. And I thought I, that was clearly the last time I'd ever see him. In bad shape. I mean, bad shape. He lost a ton of weight. 
He was walking slow. He was in a fight with cancer. It did not look like he was going to win. He came through it, and we just have him on the radio. So that was a blessing to know that the time I saw him, it's about six years ago, I thought that was it when I walked away from him. And now I'm still talking to him on the radio, and he's going into the Hall of Fame. Really cool to have a discussion with George Carl. Gangster Raider, thanks for waiting. You're up next on the flagship of the Raiders. Go ahead. Hey, man, I'm feeling good. I'm celebrating my son's 21st birthday today. You know what I'm saying? Happy early birthday to your son. I think he said his on the 24th, right? Yes, he's coming up on the 24th. I'll have a 21-year-old. Thank you. Yeah, we're in Vegas right now. We just checked in our room a couple hours ago, getting ready to go to our stadium tour and everything. And um, I'm just feeling good, you know what I'm saying, because he made me a father. You know what I'm saying? I'm mm-hmm. having one of those proud daddy moments. You know what I'm saying? But um, for the stadium tour and everything, he's pumped up a know about it. I wanted to be a surprise, but I slipped it out on the phone. I was talking to his mom. You know what I'm saying? But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, um, I just want to wish, have you wish him a happy birthday if you can on the radio. Yes. Little G. Little G, happy birthday. You're going to love the stadium tour. The stadium tour is a diamond in the rough out here. Your dad's diehard Raider Nation. And have a great 21st. There's no place in the world you'd rather be on your 21st birthday than Las Vegas. Thanks, JT. Have a good one, my friend. Appreciate it. Gangster Raider checking in. Son turns 21, which is really cool because it's Wednesday, the 18th, and my son turns 21 on the 24th, and the same day my dad turns 84, and my dad's coming out here uh, Saturday, and uh, my dad and mom will be out here. Thank God they're both here. They're both alive and feeling great, in great shape, and uh, we're going to have a big celebration. Looking forward to that, and... I'm really lucky to have my sons and my wife, both my parents with us, and that'll be next week. So May 24th is the biggest day of the year, with all due respect to my younger son, who's in the house now as I host the show, who's 18. I've always said the greatest day of my life was May 24th because it's my dad's birthday and my son's birthday, and my son came six weeks early. So we had no idea. That wasn't his due date, and he came early. And he came, and he was an early blessing, and he's now well over six foot three and well over ripped 200 pounds, and I remember him when he was born on that day. And the nerves and everything that happened, and it all turned out to be great. So I'm excited about that. Big week next week. Uh, Raiders had their own golf tournament today over at Rio Seco. I heard that went great. And for everybody who went to the Bolitnikoff Foundation event, I hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, Lon Kruger yesterday to spend a few holes with him at Southern Highlands for Coaches versus Cancer. That was really special. And then I'm on the 6.15 in the morning tomorrow after a show to go to Coach Ditka. And Coach Ditka's still with us. And that's a big blessing in my lifetime to have an opportunity to know him and uh, be a part of his event. So that'll be uh, Thursday travel, Friday the event there. So I'm really looking forward to that. A couple of more pieces of sound. Uh, before we get out of here. But first, Big Al in San Francisco with the Warriors. Big Al get a big break. They don't have to open in Phoenix, where I thought Phoenix was the better team all year, obviously, as the one seed. Now the Warriors get those added revenue dates at home at Chase Center and an opportunity, I think, to have an easier series. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm just getting ready to head down there um, for the game. It's an early game here. It's six, you know, all the games are bumped up in time, so it's six o'clock as opposed to seven, which means with traffic, I got to leave, you know, an hour and a half earlier for a game that's an hour earlier. So take it for what it is. Um, 
I look at this game, and you know, Phoenix is you know Phoenix has done their they, they're in Cancun with Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray and all those other players that didn't play this year, and that's okay. The but in this series, the only team that I think can honestly can beat the Warriors is the Warriors themselves, and the Warriors have done a good job of that at times with with overwhelming amounts of of turnovers on unforced errors. Um, you know, between bad passes and, and you know, such not, not such great decisions. Um, Luka Doncic is a great player. He, he's a fantastic player. We all know that. But that team is a bunch of spot-up shooters other than him who feast on Luka dishing out on off the double teams. If the Warriors play the, you know, find a way to be able to, to play Luka man-to-man and not get into zone defenses, which leave other players wide open because teams shoot over zones, um, I don't see why you know, I, I don't think the Warriors will have a big problem in this series. If they get through this series, the next series is always, it will be the more fun series. But that's just my opinion. Let's see if the the key to the series here: limit your turnovers, play Warrior basketball, and let's and move the ball around. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. The place is going to be loud. Chase Center is not Oracle, but it's going to do its best tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot, Big Al. Have a good time at the game. I know you're working the game. Thanks for the phone call and. Look, I, I don't think the Warriors will have a problem in this series. They're a better team, but I didn't think that Phoenix would have a problem with Dallas. And Dallas was exceptional. Luke in Game 7. I wanted to spend a lot of time on that today, but we had a couple of guests pop up, and that was one of the greatest choke jobs in the history of sports. What Phoenix did in Game 7 on their home court, getting destroyed the way they did. They didn't play hard. They didn't hustle. They were spiritually, mentally, physically defeated. Uh, that was gutless. That's a pure definition of gutless in sports. And it really happens, rarely ever happens in a Game 7 at home. You know, Game 7 at home. I remember the Yankees lost, I think it was 2004 to the Red Sox. Johnny Damon hit two home runs. Game was over early, and it was embarrassing. And I remember that as a pain. But what happened in that NBA game, it's hard to fathom. With Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Dallas came in, better coach, better prepared. What a moment for Jason Kidd to have his team ready to play that way. I also did not mention Peter DeBoer got fired by the Golden Knights. We were the last show to interview him. Thought it was a solid interview. I give him a lot of credit. He had a tremendous winning percentage. It was not his fault. What he had to deal with this year with the cap and the injuries and all of that. Uh, Peter DeBoer, and again, whoever they bring in, if they bring in Tortorella, who I think they're going to bring in, John Tortorella. Get that on tape, Bobby. If they bring in Trotz, whoever it is, Golden Knights, I still think, have a good team. But the way those salaries are structured in the cap, it's going to be tough for any coach to win until they figure it out. But I just meet people on my own, and I make an, they make an impression on me. And Peter DeBoer was really good to me, and I wish him well. And he had a hell of a winning percentage. You don't fire people who win that many games, but it's a trigger figure, uh, finger business. And when you're a hockey coach, don't buy a house, rent a house, because even if you win the cup, you might not be back two, three years down the road. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. I'm off. I'll be back on Monday. I'm in Chicago with Coach Ditka. Uh, listen to the entire lineup. Adam Candy's up next. Vinny Bonsignor, the entire lineup here on the home of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio.